0: Locked on Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Wednesday, June the 19th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to unpack David Johnson's comments on Josh Rosen, what does Rosen have to do to become one of the most dominant players in the league? And if he can't, the 2020 quarterback draft class stands to be quite loaded. We'll continue the face of the franchise series with Oregon's Justin Herbert. And is Tank Carradine ready to finally make his mark on the league? And finally, we'll preview the AFC South. But before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Himalaya, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and subscribe rate and review the show give me a follow on twitter the number one follow on dolphins twitter as voted by dolphins twitter it's at wingfield nfl and you can find the show at locked on fins and last but not least the other locked on sports family of podcasts like the locked on heat podcast and locked on nfl podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams let's go Miami Dolphins So by now, we've heard this David Johnson comment on Josh Rosen. He said, quote, I think he, Josh Rosen, is going to wind up being one of the most dominant quarterbacks in this league. Johnson went on to say that he felt bad for Rosen and the circumstances that he was put in. But then he went on after that to praise Kyler Murray as well. And I didn't weigh in on this topic initially because to me, it's a big ball of nothing. But I do think it's a perfectly apt topic for mid June. And I say it's a nothing burger because we hear this all the time from players or coaches or media personalities. Even myself, if I sat here and guaranteed to you guys that Josh Rosen was going to throw 40 touchdowns this year and go 13 and 3, would you believe me? I mean, based upon what evidence do I have to make that claim? I mean, we heard Adam Gaze in the past say that he's got, quote, Ryan Tannehill exactly where he wants him. He's going to be a monster this year, end quote. We had Jeff Darlington of ESPN, one of the most respected men in the universe when it comes to football. He said on the podcast, on this very podcast last year, that Bill Belichick would take Ryan Tannehill in a heartbeat and turn him into his next quarterback after Tom Brady. It's just the ultimate trope alert. Every year we hear stuff like this across the league. So-and-so is in the best shape of their life. Player X is about to break out now that he's more comfortable in Insert your confirming phrase here, whether it's the new scheme, the new city, whatever it might be, there's always a reason for certain players to take that next step and players praising players, this stuff just happens all the time. What does it really mean? Is David Johnson really an authority on quarterback play? I mean, how much time do we think he has spent watching real quarterback tape and breaking that stuff down? Did he see elite quarterback play when he was at Northern Iowa? Really, the only good quarterback season he's ever been a part of was Carson Palmer in 2015. But since then in Arizona, it's been pretty much a mess. And I get that these guys are there every day and they know more football than you or I, but the There's a reason that a lot of football players or former players, I should say, make poor analysts once their careers are over. I'm not saying David Johnson is that. I don't know what David Johnson is from the perspective of a football analyst. I just hope that we're not banking on that comment to buy into the fact that Josh Rosen is the guy. Now, there is a takeaway from this whole thing that I do like, and that is that you can pretty much put to bed the idea that Josh Rosen wasn't a good teammate. I know we had Joe Shad on the podcast last month talking about maybe some of the media people don't warm up to Josh Rosen right away, or maybe he is confident and cocky in the way he carries himself, but I think that his teammates over the course of his college career and into the NFL have basically come to his back to say that he's not a bad guy, he is a good teammate, and this is just another example. So that is a positive quantifiable takeaway you can take from this David Johnson comment. Now, what does Josh Rosen have to do to become this quarterback that David Johnson thinks that he can be in his career? Well, number one, he's going to have to get this offense down pat and become basically an extension of the play caller on the field. We've talked about it in the face of the franchise series up on LockedOnDolphins.com, and we'll turn to Justin Herbert in segment number two here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. And what we talk about is how this offense is so cerebral based and you have to basically have your sight adjustments in hand before you snap the football and know what the defensive rotation is going to look like. If Josh Rosen wants to truly become dominant, that's what he's going to have to do. Become that point guard type distributor in this offense and get the football into guys hands like Jakeem Grant, like Albert Wilson, and down the field to Kenny Stills and the like, as well as the running backs too. The bottom line is that we know Josh Rosen can play within the structure of a quality sound offense. Now, he's never been able to do that because UCLA pretty much stunk his entire career and Arizona definitely stunk last year. If the Dolphins can finally build up a good program and put Josh Rosen in that position to succeed, then maybe he can become dominant. Or maybe he just becomes a guy that is part of the grand scheme of things that eventually becomes a good football team here in Miami. But number one, the thing he has to do most is to become an extension of the play caller of the coach on the field and see things through the lens of a coach. Okay, let's go ahead and flip things over here to the defensive side of the football and jump into this story from Pro Football Talk on Tank Carradine, the Dolphins' newest defensive lineman, signed this offseason before free agency began as he was available as a cut player from the end of the season. But Carradine talks in this article up on PFT.com about how he played in 45 games across six NFL seasons with six head coaches and has struggled to find a fit in his career, playing first with the Niners and then the Raiders last season. And now he's in Miami and he said, quote, When you bounce around the league, you definitely wait for the perfect opportunity to get on a team that believes in you. Sometimes you get on teams where they believe in you, things happen, and then they have a change of heart about you as a player. You can go out there, make a couple of mistakes, and they're ready to move on you're not their guy anymore. You've got to be their guy. Sometimes it's not that you're good enough, that you're not good enough. It's that you don't fit the system. They don't like how you're rushing on the edge. You don't bend low enough, end quote. So he kind of meanders there talking about the fit and the scheme. And that's what I wanted to talk about here was his fit in this particular defense. I've watched this guy's film as I did all the free agent and drafted players that were acquired by Miami this off season. And I thought there was something there within this particular scheme. He has the long arms, the physical stature, he can engage and detach he's strong enough to hold the point of attack against the run and in this defense the defensive linemen have to help keep the linebackers clean so they can pick their way through the offense and make plays themselves and I think there's a really good chance that he can do that in this two-gap read and react type of scheme but of course on top of all that he's gonna have to stay healthy that's his biggest challenge but I do have a little bit of hope for Tank Carradine that he can possibly get his career sorted out here in Miami in season number seven. And it would certainly provide the Dolphins with a huge boon if Tank can provide this defense with a rotational five technique that occasionally kicks out to the seven and plays the run on the way to the pass. And it would be a huge boon for you and your significant other if you got your hands on some Blue Chew. Listen up, guys. I want to tell you here today about Blue Chew. That's blue like the color. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package so no in-person doctor's visits no waiting in line at the pharmacy and best of all no more awkwardness they're made in the USA and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct they're cheaper than a pharmacy and right now we've got a special deal for our listeners visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N just pay $5 shipping again that's B L U E, chew.com. Promo code locked on to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Somebody on Twitter made a video of Chris Gamble and his heyday at Ohio State. And I retweeted that and told the opening portion of a story about the time that I played against Chris Gamble on Madden 2007. That was, what, 12 years ago now? And I thought I would tell the entire story here on the podcast. It's a real quick one. Basically, I used to play PS2 Madden online religiously when I was, what, 20 years old at the time. And I would play guys with the microphone and talk to them throughout the course of the game. And I was pretty good. My name was Wing Fins, as in Wingfield and Dolphins put together. And my record was something like 55 and 6 or something like that in total. And I played against a guy online one night. And the discussion started when we talked about how he hates the Dolphins, despite the fact that he was from South Florida. And I asked him why that was the case and who his favorite team was. And he told me it was the Carolina Panthers. And I said, why are you a Panthers fan from South Florida? And he said, because I play for him. And then from that point on, it was basically me grilling him questions about the the Panthers and the NFL and and his past and to find out if it was him because at this point I was more intrigued about talking to Chris Gamble than I was playing the game and I remember him saying that Ronnie Brown was complete trash and that Ricky Williams was way better and he also told me that Chris Chambers was an absolute stud on the outside for the Dolphins and I started thinking back to the 2005 game. It was a week three game against the Panthers. The Panthers were supposed to be a Super Bowl contender that year and I think they went to the NFC Championship that year. The Dolphins wound up finishing nine and seven that season but that was Nick Saban's first year and they weren't supposed to be any good but that week three game the Dolphins beat the Panthers in a surprise upset and Chris Chambers had a ridiculous touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone against who none other than Chris Gamble and I think that was kind of what really tipped me off to believe that he was who he said he was he talked about his upbringing his time at Ohio State playing for the Panthers it all checked out in the end, I wound up taking him down as I did most of my opponents, but it was pretty cool to talk to a guy that played in the league and to play some Madden against him. Kind of a dream come true for a 20-year-old at the time playing Madden back in my heyday. Let's go ahead and spin things forward here and talk about the actual on-field product of football and the college football game. And as it pertains to the face of the franchise series up on LockedOnDolphins.com, we've got Tua Vailoa, Jake Fromm, and now Justin Herbert. Jordan Love is going to be tomorrow, but Justin Herbert is our focus today the Oregon quarterback, back for his senior year after three kind of subpar years out at Oregon. He saw his efficiency metrics drop across the board this year, going down below 60% in the completion percentage column. He went from 9.6 to 7.8 yards per pass. And I always kind of start these articles about young players with Searches on Google for their leadership and character. And I just typed in Tua vailoa leadership, Jake Fromm leadership, and Justin Herbert leadership. And the first two guys came back with effusive praise from coaches and teammates and pretty much everybody that's around those players said they were great leaders and great locker room presences. But the opposite was true of Justin Herbert. There's a quote in the article from Willie Taggart who said, we got to find a guy that can rally everybody on this team. When we find that guy, that's when we're going to name a starter. And that was prior to 2017 when Justin Herbert was competing for the quarterback job. And this is kind of speculative, I think, in regards to his character. But then there's a report now from Bleacher Reports' Matt Miller that That he spoke to an NFL scout who said that Justin Herbert is kind of, quote, aloof, end quote, and quote, soft, end quote. And those shouldn't be taken as gospel but you hear more and more about this as a guy who doesn't really want to take the reins of the offense or the program or just the team in general. And there was other articles up on the Google search that said that it's now Justin Herbert's time to take control of the offense, to become this leader. So many different factors that weigh into him or to signs pointing to him not being a leader or a guy that rallies the football team. And that to me is a big concern, especially with the things that Brian Flores and Chris Greer have spoken about. We talked about it on yesterday's podcast how those things are in Jake Fromm's corner in terms of this team liking Jake Fromm as a prospect I think those things play against Justin Herbert if the Dolphins are to draft him next year they might think about maybe taking him off the draft board because of stuff like that if it's true of course I don't know if it is I'm just telling you what I read on the Google machine on the internet so who knows what's to believe. But I do know we can trust the tape. And let's go ahead and talk about Justin Herbert's tape and the strengths that he features. Number one is the velocity and drive on his passes. There's nobody in college football that can rip the football like him from different angles within the structure, outside of the structure, on the move, stationary, whatever it is, he can flat drive the football up the seam to the perimeter and thread those needles on the slants and those quick throws into the middle of the football field. The ball just jumps off of his hand. Number two, the athleticism and off-script ability I talked about how he can get off the spot against a pass rush, move to a new spot and throw the ball from awkward platforms and make plays off script. He also has prowess in the designed run packages on the RPO looks, the read option looks. He can take the ball around the edge and make big plays with his legs, as well as with his arms once he gets on the move. And then that's kind of where things end for him as the focused areas of improvement, the weaknesses. Number one, he has a predetermined mindset, and this might be a systemic, a systemic thing among these supremely gifted quarterbacks because they tend to struggle with the mental, cerebral approach to the game and Justin Herbert is right in line with those guys as well. There are multiple occasions on his film where it appears that Herbert's decision was made where the football was going pre-snap without any regard for what the defensive defensive coverage showed on that pre-snap look without any regard for post-snap rotation. And you guys can find the videos up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com where there's examples where he kind of just stares to a side of the field and doesn't decipher whether it's zone or man or if the defensive back's going to drive on the football. It leads to him being late at times and putting the ball in harm's way with some poor decisions. He also struggles with touch passing, throwing the ball down the field. And it reminds me, like much of his game kind of does, of Ryan Tannehill in the way that Tannehill could never get those soft throws where you're not driving your arm through the zone as hard as you possibly can he could never find the touch and accuracy on those throws, whether it was fades or screens. We saw that fade in the Titans game last year to Mike Gesicki, where it was horrendously underthrown. He could never hit those wheel routes. The screen game was always awkward with Tannehill. The same thing is true of Justin Herbert. He's often off target down the field, trying to lob balls into open windows to his receivers, taking fade routes, go routes, whatever it might be. Throwing the ball up the field with touch is a problem for him. Just as seeing phantom pressure is, his mechanics get very interesting. Inconsistent as a result of pressure. He drops his eyes to anticipate that pressure and sometimes we'll see ghosts and kind of backpedal his way into poor mechanics and poor throws because he's afraid of getting hit as he wants to protect his body instead of standing in there and taking the shot and delivering a strike down the field. Potential fit with the Dolphins, I just don't see it. I think, one, the Dolphins aren't going to want to get back into a relationship with a quarterback that's very much like Ryan Tannehill, physically gifted, but comes up short in the mental approach to things. And from a schematic standpoint, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me either because his specialties are winning with the physical gifts, taking advantage of perfect perfect circumstances within the structure, but also beating teams off script. But he struggles to play the point man and distribute the football across a wide array of pass catchers and finding matchups and correctly discerning what the defensive coverage is and winning that way. So I just don't think he will even be on the Dolphins draft board if we are to assume this New England style of offense with the short rhythm tempo pass that is very, very integral around the quarterback making the correct reads. If that's the case, I just don't see Justin Herbert being on Miami's radar whatsoever. And we're going to finish up this series on tomorrow's podcast as well as the Locked On Dolphins website with Jordan Love from Utah State. I haven't begun to see if he has available games on YouTube. I hope that he does. I'm not quite sure yet if he does. And we're going to have a sort of best of the rest breakdown up on the website and the podcast sometime next week as we close up June here and get to the last month of no football, as we finally spin things forward to July and training camp and the start of the 2019 season, both in the NFL and college football. I cannot wait. Let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back on the other side of the podcast and talk about the AFC South here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Tonight marks the start of the second half of the softball season for yours, truly. We finished up the first half at 7-1. and one. We lost to the one team that we lose to in the championship every single year, and we play them again tonight to begin the second half of the season, the second leg of a doubleheader tonight. Personally, I broke out of that career worse, life worse slump that I had in the beginning part of the season and finished up strong in the second half. I'm just glad that I still have the skill set to be able to play this game because I was pretty damn good in my heyday and that slump had me scared as hell that maybe I forgot how to play softball or baseball, whatever you want to call it, but that's not the case. We're back and we're back in action tonight. But let's go ahead and close this podcast out as we get near the end of the divisional previews. We're going to have guests from the other Locked On podcast to to preview the Jets, Bills, and Patriots next week. But we stop on the penultimate division today in the AFC South. And we'll start with a team that I think is competing for a championship this year, as well as facing the Dolphins in week number 10, on November the 10th this season right in the middle of the NFL calendar of course the Indianapolis Colts I really thought that Andrew Luck's career was over with that shoulder injury the mysterious nature of the reports of his surgery going overseas and doing stem cell and being kind of discreet about everything the rehab was ominous to say the least the fact that he couldn't throw a regulation size football at all for months it was all troublesome but he's back and he's got the best offense around him and play caller he's ever had in his career I think the world of T.Y. Hilton he's an elite receiver Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron is a deadly two tight end combo that gives them ultimate formation flexibility and disguise options I don't care too much for Devin Funches, their prize receiver edition this offseason but I sure do like Paris Campbell and keep an eye on undrafted free agent Penny Hart From Georgia State, Albert Wilson's alma mater, he is a good-looking prospect as well that I think should have been drafted much higher or drafted at all this past April. And this is perhaps the best offensive line in the entire league. Quentin Nelson... Braden Smith showed growth last year. Ryan Kelly is a Pro Bowl caliber player. Anthony Costanzo, Mike Glowinski, it's all aces across the board. And on defense, I absolutely love the Rock Yassin and Ben Benogu picks. Yassin joins a nice secondary with Pierre back, Kenny Moore, who's one of the most underrated slot corners in the entire game, and you have Malik Hooker and Clayton Gathers on the back end. Benogu joins a linebacker group that has been given a shot in the arm the last couple of seasons with Darius Leonard, an all-pro, and Anthony Walker who came into his own as a run defender last year as well. And then we go up front where they are full of assignment sound players that defend the run and put the defense in position to get aggressive on third down. This team is loaded and, of course, the Dolphins have to go back to Lucas Oil Stadium this season. Again, this is going to be a tough out this time around after Tannehill and Gaze kind of blew the game last time around. It's difficult to imagine the pass rush impacting Luck and having enough guys to match up with a variety of pass catchers in the variety of ways they can beat you. The offense will have to find the ground game, but that might be become futile once it becomes a two-score game. I think this one, like a few of the other games we've talked about so far, will probably get lopsided come the fourth quarter. And the team that the Colts beat last year on the road in last year's wild card round, last year's divisional winner, the Houston Texans, I think this team could be in for a pretty big step backwards. I was wrong about Deshaun Watson coming back. I was weary of his inaccuracy issues, but he's tremendous. I am, however, fearful that the Texans are going to find a way to ruin this kid. This latest GM mess feels precarious at best. The offensive line panic picks are very concerning. They have playmakers outside in Will Fuller and Kiki Kute to complement one of the best receivers in the league in DeAndre Hopkins, but that offensive line still, to me, is a mess. They panicked and took Titus Howard right after Andre Dillard almost fell into the laps, but went off the board right in front of them to the Philadelphia Eagles and Howie Roseman and that elite-ran organization. They came back with Mark- Max Sharping, and they are still counting on guys like Julianne Davenport, Senio Clemente and Nick Martin inside. That's not good. The defense is still nice. J.J. Watt, and hopefully for them, Jadavian Clowney are back, although I'd be wary about giving Clowney a new contract with his injury history and kind of some of the production downfalls that occur now and then. I liked the Charles Amenuhu pick. I'm indifferent on the linebacker position. I mean, I guess I'm good with Bernardic McKinney, Whitney Merciless, and Zach Cunningham. It's solid, but not spectacular. And I feel the same way about the secondary, but it is no doubt a pivotal year for Bill O'Brien and that Texans organization this year to give Deshaun Watson more and to finally get over the playoff hump in January, something that's been a problem for Bill O'Brien in the past. And up next are the Dolphins Nashville edition, the Tennessee Titans, of course, with Ryan Tannehill, as well as Cameron Wake. Now I do wish he would come back as Rose so emotionally pleaded there for him. Tannehill, And I could give or take that one, but it starts with Marcus Mariota, who is essentially to Titans fans what Tannehill was to Dolphins fans for a long time. I dare you to show up on Titans Twitter and say bad things about Mariota. It's not going to be fun for you if you do, but he is an inaccurate slow processor who cannot make full field reads and commits commits crippling turnovers far too often. He's a runner playing quarterback, and I'm sure this will be the last season he plays with the Titans as they pass on giving him that that mega contract that he's going to be due next season if somebody wants to sign him to that deal, especially when he probably gets hurt for the fifth straight year. I'm a big fan of Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis and that tandem. I'm waiting for Corey Davis to break out. Adam Humphreys was a nice addition to the slot. And between A.J. Brown and Taewon Taylor, I think they have some nice versatility options at wide receiver. And I'm also a big fan of their tight end tandem in Delaney Walker and Jonu Smith. The offensive line has taken some steps back the last couple of years, but they are solid out at tackle. Jack Conklin might be a guy we think about next season in free agency if we are so inclined to spend money at right tackle after giving Taylor Lewan the highest left tackle contract in football. Not sure if they can afford Jack Conklin, but then again, the Dolphins are going to have to owe Laramie Tunzel So maybe the same problem exists there for Miami as far as the defense goes. I thought the Jeffrey Simmons pick was a great one. They need to get Jarrell Casey some help inside. I love, love, love Rashawn Evans at linebacker, and of course I am hoping that Cam Wake gets himself 327 sacks this season. Also, Harold Landry is a nice-looking edge rusher off the side for them. The secondary is led by Kevin Byard, and no, Deion Sanders, he's not a fan. He's an all-pro. Malcolm Butler is still a major liability. Adoree Jackson has not worked out for them so far, and Kenny Vaccaro was a nice late addition last summer to that football team. And finally, there's the Jaguars. What the hell even are the Jaguars? I hated the Nick Foles signing. I'd rather they drafted Dwayne Haskins and use that money to re-sign Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, Yannick Ngakwe, and possibly Telvin Smith if he returns next season. Leonard Fournette is more of a jag, interesting name there, no, or I guess no pun intended, than a bona fide top five draft day talent. The offensive line didn't mesh like they had hoped last year with big money left guard, Andrew Norwell coming to town. Cam Robinson was looking good until an injury took him down. And between Josh Wells, Brandon Lindor and said a I worry about the rest of that group inside. They may have well gotten the steal of the draft in Jawan Taylor in round number two. However, it's a big year for this defense. A lot of potential contracts coming up and tons of talent on this side. Between Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe, Marcel Darius, and the addition of Josh Allen, and hopefully some progression from Taven Bryan this season, that front is loaded. Miles Jack is an absolute stud at linebacker, but Telvin Smith stepping away leaves a big hole in the middle of that defense. I still love the loaded starting cornerback group, of course spearheaded by Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye. They need Ronnie Harrison to establish himself at safety this year and find somebody to fill the massive void at slot corner left by Aaron Colvin's departure last season. This is one of the more intriguing divisions in my opinion. Let's go ahead and get to the best of. The best player for my money is DeAndre Hopkins. The best offensive player probably Andrew Luck, although Quentin Nelson and T.Y. Hilton factor into that argument as well. The best defensive player is Jalen Ramsey. The best offensive rookie for me is going to be Jawan Taylor, the Jaguars' right tackle and second round draft pick this season. The best defensive rookie, once he gets healthy, will be Jeffrey Simmons for the Tennessee Titans. The best coach is already Frank Reich, which is crazy to say. And the best rivalry I think is Titans and Jaguars. Apparently they hate each other. It's a lot of fun to watch on Twitter. One of the lesser known rivalries in the NFL, but The Jaguars seem to struggle with the Titans regardless of how good they might be in a given season, and that makes for a fun dynamic. But as for this podcast, that is going to be my time today. We're going to come back on tomorrow's show with Jordan Love, and we'll also preview the AFC North on tomorrow's podcast. But let's go ahead and get out of here for today's show. A kind reminder for each of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.